broadcasting before and probably after the rapture. It's the Drew Marshall Show. That song has been played prior to the interview with Bruce Coburn talking about his book. What's it called again? Uh, 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 Rocket Lunch? No. Um. <laughs> I wonder why he didn't choose that. Actually, forget the big bio and intro. Ladies and gentlemen, Bruce Coburn. Bruce, why didn't you call your book uh, Rocket Launcher or something more explosive? <laughs> well, the publishers wanted to call it Pacing the Cage, which I thought was depressing. And uh, we agreed on... On uh, rumors of glory, which uh, it was actually Bernie Finkelstein's suggestion, and uh, and I thought it was a pretty good one. Um, I think the, the song "If I Had a Rocket Launcher" has had enough attention. Yeah, uh, it, it gets discussed, and you know, at some length in the book, but or at least its its origins do. But uh, but um, you know, because it's one of the ones that people have associated with me more than others. But uh, at the same time, it seemed. Not a particularly fitting title for the, uh, for a book that spans, uh, you know, a bunch of a life like that. No, that's right. No, you're right. I mean, it, uh, you know, that song represents a, a season of your life, and Rumors of Glory, I think, uh, tells it all, if that makes any sense. I think that's maybe what you're saying. Or maybe not. I'll, I'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bruce, uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, always good to chat with you. My first question is, uh, how's Iona? I can't believe she's three. Are you kidding me? She's three, and and uh, she's doing very well, actually. Uh, I went to uh, Iona for the first time a few years ago. Actually, that was the same year I ran into you at Greenbelt. And uh, yeah. what a great gig again. The misty British evening. A little bit of drizzle and uh, didn't stop you. I mean, I, I have now said to people... I don't know if there is a heaven, but if there is, it's got to be similar to what I experienced at Greenbelt, when I was standing in front of the stage watching you perform with two beers in my hand. I think that's heaven. <laughs> well, you're very easy to please. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would, I'd ask a little more of God myself. But, uh, <laughs> okay, nonetheless, fine. Nonetheless, I'll take what I get. Fine, but, fine. But, uh, um, but no, that's that. the Greenbelt Festival in England is a good one, and uh, although it, it had a bit of a slump, uh, in the nineties it's it's uh or early two thousand it came back and um that per- that year was really great I thought. Other than the mud. There was a lot of mud. <laughs> yeah. I think it made up for the fact that the Glastonbury Festival didn't happen that year because it was the Olympics the same year and they needed all the fencing and toilets uh for uh for the Olympics so they couldn't have the Glastonbury Festival. <laughs> I I'd missed that one. Yeah. Listen, co-hosting this faithbooks.ca interview with me is a gentleman named Glenn Soderholm. Glenn, a uh, big fan of Bruce, as many are. I'd like to introduce the two of you. Glenn, Bruce, Bruce Glenn. Hi, Bruce. Hi. 
I actually, uh, uh, I was living in the Milton, uh, Campbellville area when you were uh, around that area, and uh, we had a few friends who would run into you from time to time, or at least see you, and, and so we, we affectionately had a little Bruce Coburn sighting club, but I didn't think it was fair, <laughs> because I, I was the one who actually knew about your stuff, and then one day, I was standing in a bank down on Main Street, Milton, and there you were, standing right beside me, and I had kind of prepared this whole conversation. I knew exactly what I was going to ask you, because I didn't want to seem like a weenie, so I was going to... No, I've got that role. Yeah, yeah. So I was going to ask you about Mark Hurd, and then, and then so I said hi, and you said hi very kindly back to me, and then I was just about to launch into this articulate sort of thing and the teller called you and that was it you That's walked it. out of my life poof just like that <laughs> the life is so fickle <laughs> <laughs> i remember most about going to that bank this is it, it has nothing nothing to do with what you just said but that i drive into milton to go to the bank and i'd pass this the establishment of a, of a, a physician whose sign named him as dr bone sack <laughs> and, and i I chuckled at that every time I drove by. Like, I mean, hundreds of times, you know. Fucking nice. Man, that's, that, name. that's as just north of Milton is a little town called Erin, and uh, they have a, a funeral home called Butcher Funeral Home. That's not good. <laughs> uh, Bruce Coburn, I hate phonies because I've seen that in myself. You hate phonies because why? Well, I certainly have seen it in myself. I, I, I can't imagine a living person who who hasn't unless they've just chosen not to look <laughs> but uh um, the uh yeah phonies i mean there's not enough time in life to waste on on baloney basically uh, that's uh um, that's how i feel about it i mean we all have our phony moments we we smile and we don't feel like smiling or we you know we're nice to someone in a bank when we don't really care <laughs> but uh but uh, but, uh you know, I mean, those, it, it's, I mean, I guess it's, that's not really being phony. It's better to err on the side of nice than not. But it, but, uh, the, uh, yeah, there's all, there's endless opportunities for minor falsehoods in life and occasionally opportunities for really major ones. And I guess the hope is you just can avoid the major ones. And, and I think that, you know, with reference to this book, what I appreciate so much is is the candidness. Uh, you know, you told some stories in there which I think uh, were very revealing and vulnerable, and uh, yeah. it didn't feel phony at all to me. So I I uh, appreciated that so much about this uh, memoir. And um, but I, I wanted to ask you something about that because I think uh, you know we've heard the term confessional songwriter and so on. I think somebody said Joni Mitchell was the first confessional songwriter. I don't know if that's true, but uh, but anyways, Dylan might have beat her to it. But I, I but that sort of idea that you kind of let people know something about yourself and your songs, and you've done that so so well over the years, in my in my opinion. Uh, what was the experience like? I mean, but you can kind of do that poetically in your songs, like you know, sort of maybe maybe hide behind poetry or something a bit. But but you haven't done that in this book. What was that experience like, where you had to? I mean, you couldn't necessarily be poetic. I think you write very well here, but what's the difference between sort of writing a song and, hmm. and writing a memoir? Well, it, uh, there's a lot of differences. That, that what you're hitting on is one of them. But the, the uh, you know, in, in 30 lines, which might be what a song consists of, you can't put a lot of detail. I mean, you can, okay, maybe it's an Annie DeFranco song. It's got more lines, but <laughs> and Ani, Ani is probably the most uh, forthright of anybody uh, that I can think of in terms of, I wouldn't call it confessional. In her case, it's more like just being explicitly 
descriptive about her life or about her encounters with people. Yeah. Uh, but um, but it, it's that that's a there's a limit to how much of that you can put in a song, and 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 in the process of making it song like, and you know sort of something other than just a recitation of prose with music behind it, um, you uh, you shape the material mm. to make it to make it singable or to make it uh, fit the music or to to make it go together in in a set of images or whatever that you know because you can't just keep on going with a song you have to start and stop a book uh, of course also has to start and stop but it offers a lot more room to put in and in fact requires a lot more information just to fill the pages and and to make sense of it being a book so uh, and then in the case of my book the the publishers approached me with the um, invitation to write a spiritual memoir that was their phrase and uh, they were unable to to explain what they meant by spiritual memoir, but uh, but I was left to kind of figure that out for myself. But in the, that meant to me um, talking about my relationship with the divine and uh, and my or at least my hoped for relationship and wished for um, and that in in doing that you you have to be a little personal. Yeah. You can't you can't talk about yourself. At a at a distance when you're talking about when that's that's kind of the the, the premise from which you're starting. So um, it was you know th- there's a fair amount of personal stuff in the book. It, by no means is is there all of the personal stuff. Uh, you know there's a there was some thought went into what to put in and what to leave out uh, for my sake, but also for uh, the sake of other people that might have been involved. That, that you know you can't compromise people just to get your book done. Uh, not that there was a lot of that. I didn't have, I don't have a lot of dirt on a lot of people, but, <laughs> but it, it was a consideration nonetheless. And, um, you know, especially as you get into adulthood, the stuff about, the, like I found that writing about my childhood in the early years of going to music school, and that kind of stuff was very easy because, uh, the memories are concise and distant. Uh, what memories survive are sharp and, and, and easy to describe, but the um, and the and the course of things is simple because you just kind of you you have relatively few memories to work with. Uh, but as you get closer to the present, more and more people are involved, and you know some of them are people who might read the book. <laughs> so, uh, so you got to. I, I found a certain. This is one why I enlisted the aid of of uh, the co-writer that I had, Greg King, uh, to help me get past this. A couple of humps like this, where I was just stuck on, what do I say? I don't, I can't, I can't tell that story because somebody's going to be uh, adversely affected by it. Um, in the end, we we didn't leave out very much for that reason, but uh, but there's there are a few things that were just either too weird or too too uh, uh, potentially compromising to other people that that got left out but that said it is a pretty personal book and and it's personal for for the reason i gave that uh you know it, it, i don't see it as confessional exactly it's more about how i got from a to b and and in the process of describing that it's uh you know it was necessary to to reveal the the, the way in which my encounters with people affected me 
Bruce Coburn, uh, Rumors of Glory is his memoir. Many people have been waiting for this memoir for a long, long time. And uh, thank you for not pulling an Avril Lavigne and releasing a memoir when you were 12. I, 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 <laughs> I, don't, I, I remember seeing a coffee table book about the life of Avril Lavigne, and, and uh, it wasn't just her. At some point I was in, in a bookstore, probably in Toronto, and, and there was a... Uh, you know, a whole range of these coffee table biographies of people, you know, hockey players that were in their 30s and uh, just all these sort of uh, highly visible Canadians. Uh, and, it, you know, it's fine if that's what you want to do, but it, that, that, that sort of thing never appealed to me much. I, I, uh, I guess it would have if I was 18 and somebody wanted to do one about me. But, um, well, one of the reasons again, you probably have... said yes to HarperCollins is because they approached you about a spiritual memoir, I would imagine. Or or was it just the, the fact that, you know, you're going to be 70 this year and it's time? Or is it both? It's a little of both. Uh, I think the, 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 the fact that they wanted a spiritual slant to the book made it appealing, for sure. Uh, made it, it made it uh, an interesting concept, that, a more interesting concept than it would have been otherwise. Hmm. But um, but the time was right too. I've had this. I've had conversations with people over the years about doing both people who wanted to write my biography or other people who wanted to publish my autobiography. But it always seemed either too soon or um, or too wrong in the sense that you know I felt I didn't want somebody else to write it. I wanted to write it myself if there was going to be one. But it always seemed a little too soon for that. I, I feel like. I felt like there had to be enough life behind me to have I, 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 some kind of arc to the story. Yeah. And um, so, you know, I, I waited. And the HarperCollins came along now three uh, three and a bit years ago, I guess, and proposed this book. And, and you haven't written and, uh, a song since. And I haven't. Well, actually, now I have. I have a couple of new songs, which I'm very grateful for. Good. Uh, because I did go through some doubt about whether I was ever going to write another song. The, the book took up all that energy, that kind of energy, and, and uh, so once it was done, I thought, okay, now I can be a songwriter again, maybe, if there is one out there, and, and so I've got a couple now. BruceCoburn.com is the website. The book is Rumors of Glory, a memoir. Uh, it is a read and a half. Joining us, co-hosting this uh, faithbooks.ca interview is Glenn Soderholm, a recording artist in his own right. Actually, uh, your music has... I, I can't believe how many people I run into that rattle on about you. It's a little bothering, actually. So, anyway. Um, luckily for me, I don't meet them. So. <laughs> <laughs> guess it all works out. It all works out, man. All works uh, out. Glenn? Um, I, I don't know if Drew mentioned I'm actually also a pastor, so uh, I, I read this with interest on, on a number of sort of putting it through that filter a little bit. And, um, uh, you know, a couple of things that really grabbed me was your description of two, what I, you know, I'm just going to call them epiphanies or two really palpable experiences of Jesus. One was in your, on your wedding day, and I think the other was in Stockholm, uh, which led mm-hmm. to writing uh, All the Diamonds in the World. And, and uh, as I kind of read through the story, as I followed your music over the years, I I don't know if this is fair. I've been trying to formulate this question the last or the last couple of days. But While you've idea, been waiting in line at the bank? Yeah. Well, sort of the idea that, that it, it seems to me that those very particular experiences have kind of grown into a much broader sort of sense of the divine. I mean, you interchangeably talk about Jesus, then about God, then about the divine. And, 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 uh, and so I, I guess my question is, is, 
does one get compromised at the expense of the other? Like, do you still feel that there are the possibilities of those very particular kind of moments where God sort of reveals in some sort of personal way as opposed to a sort of a broader, amorphous kind of engaging? And wow, That and is the spiritual. deepest question ever asked on this well, show. I don't know if it even makes sense, Bruce, but... It certainly makes sense, and I, 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 I hunger for another one of those encounters. Uh, I haven't had another one exactly like that. I feel the influence of God in my life all the time, hmm. and I, I chose to not use God or Jesus so much. And I mean, we talk about Jesus in the book when it seems appropriate to talk specifically about Jesus. But the, the uh, in my own thinking, uh, the the sort of names for God, including God with a capital G, uh, that that carry the baggage of personality with them and the and the baggage of historical both uh, celebration and abuse uh, are, be, are loaded and are awkward to use. I, so I refer to the divine a lot because it's vaguer and because it's less um, uh, tainted with all all the baggage, and for me, the the uh, my uh, my sense of God is that God is about relationship. I don't know if God is. Uh, I, I don't. There are aspects of God that are father like, I think, right. but uh, but I think that we see we can. See then probably best, and it's probably best to approach God in, in, as having father-like attributes, uh, because that's the best we can do, right. uh, not because that's exactly what God is. And I, I, God operates in us through the electrochemical processes of our brains the way uh, everything else we experience does, and there's no other way that the Spirit can enter us except that way, uh, because it's, it's what we're made of. So uh, the fact that we can feel a sense of oneness with the cosmos from time to time, whether it's in the presence of uh, of some divine entity that we picture, or whether it's just that ecstatic sense of feeling in, in touch with things, um, I think that is. I think those ex- kinds of experiences are all about the same thing, and it's all about uh, a, a universal. Well, a beyond universal, a cosmic God who is in us uh, and is available to have a relationship with it, it and and uh, I, I, it might be anthropomorphizing too much to say wants that, hmm. but but I think that we're invited in some way to have that relationship and and so you know the, then it's a question of what works for you. Um, I think the. And, and what works for you might be defined in terms of uh, the faith that you were raised in, for instance. There's nothing wrong with people adhering to the faith they were raised in if it pro- promotes that relationship. If it's if it's a faith that's constrained by rules and regulations and it's more about social convention than about spirit, then it probably doesn't work for you so well. Well said. In that in in this sense, but uh, but that doesn't necessarily make it invalid even because it has other functions but but i think we should find a vocabulary that, that gives different names to these kinds of uh, of faiths and and we don't really have it 
least that I know of. The people, you know, people who who are intent, who who are inclined to make a tribal uh, uniform out of their faith, uh, I think, are barking up the wrong tree, and uh, they. I mean, that, there's a danger going in too far the other way, too, of course, a, a danger of self-delusion uh, that's extreme you know, if you approach it as a strictly individual thing. So a nice balance between um, your own experience and being in a community of some kind that can call you on your craft. Yeah, um, that's right, because I was going to ask you about that. You speak fondly yeah, about yeah. your experience at this uh, Anglican Church in Ottawa in the early days of, of embracing Christianity, and I, I was I was wondering where you're at in that sort of idea of a faith community, you know, as, as sort of people helping you to see yourself. With well, and, and I think it's got to be hard to be, to be part of a community, a faith community, any community, but a faith community in particular, uh, for my, my baggage, when you're iconoclastic. Bruce? Yeah, <laughs> you, that, that would be true, and it's also hard to do it when you're on the move a lot, and it's, yeah. uh, it's also something... I, I think you have to get lucky, quote unquote. I don't really believe in luck. I, I used the phrase a long time ago. I used the phrase "big circumstance" for for those times when, or, or those, those events that seem to be the result of divine prodding, or you know, the stirring of the finger in the pot. But but uh, um, but sometimes I think you have to uh, wait for that sometimes to find that community. I. I I waited a long time. I tried in Toronto to find that when I first moved from Ottawa to Toronto in 1980. Um, never found it. I found other good things, lots of other good things. I found a community of people in Toronto, good friends, but uh, but not based around worship. And, um, and it's taken until now in San Francisco, actually, that um, I've said through, through my wife, who sort of stumbled on this church, uh, a Pentecostal church of all things, Bruce. That, that, that Bruce. Has a that has a fantastic community uh, based in it, and and it's uh, it, they're tolerant of you know my peculiarities, and and, uh, <laughs> and their own peculiarities have yet to be discovered. I guess at least in in any way that matters to me, uh, it's just a very welcoming, smallish bunch of people. Uh, and um, I'm, I'm glad to have been led to it, but uh, but it's been a long time. Like that's there's you know 30 years in between there. Dude, can I just say if I see a picture of Bruce Coburn inside a happy clappy church with his hands up in the air, you are dude, you're going to blow my mind. <laughs> well, I won't rule that out, but I, <laughs> I remember being uh, at one point I I was in good graces with the Jesus People USA movement and. Yeah. Based in Chicago, and I, I, when I was in Chicago, I'd go to, you know, visit with them, and, and if, if it happened to be a Sunday, I'd go to church with them. And I was, I was really kind of, I felt very awkward in the presence of all these people who were putting their hands up in the air, and then they're kind of like sneaking these sidelong glances at me and seeing that I wasn't doing that. And, I'd be getting these disapproving looks. Eventually, they decided to disapprove of me altogether. But, uh, but um, you know that there was that that peculiarity. But this this place is called the Lighthouse Church in San Francisco, and it's there are people who put their hands up in the air and and uh, they clap after the songs. I mean, there's there's a band that plays on stage, and they're good, and uh, the singers are really great, and the, it's all very at the same time as it's 
really well done. It's really, it feels homespun. It feels like everybody's really doing it, uh, you know, not as a, uh, not by rote, but, but because they really want to be there doing it. And, uh, so it, it's a good, I mean, this is a fairly new experience for me. It could change, of course, as things yeah. do, but, but, uh, right now I'm, I'm excited about I, it. I remember saying to Larry Norman, obviously before he died, I said uh, something like, uh, Dude, when are you going to release your worship CD? You know, we're sort of poking fun at the fact that everybody is, you know, it was just at the start of the worship CD music industry thing. And I'm not a big fan of that. Sorry, Glenn, I'm not. A, I'm just, I can't, Either I, can't am I. I can't do it. But boy, can you imagine Bruce Coburn up there leading worship? Hey? Oh, that would be amazing. Oh, stop. I'd have, oh. to, I'd have to bring some ayahuasca with me Man. just to. Kind of trip trip on that one. I'd, I'd like to uh, let's try that sometime. <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a world of possibilities in that scenario. Yeah. But uh, um, no, I I I never bought into the as we've talked about before. I never bought into the Christian music scene. I, I, at first, because it was crap. Uh, I mean, there were <laughs> the groundbreakers, Larry Norman. I was not particularly a fan of his music, but I, but I appreciated. The groundbreaking aspect of it, uh, but um, but then it it just seemed to spiral very quickly into this commercial monster, yeah. Yeah. and and it produced music that and I I remember describing it this way I probably might have to you before but the the that it seems to me that people who embarked on the greatest adventure possible available to humans which is having that relationship with God. Ought to have a little more adventure in their music than I, than what I was hearing. You think? And uh, yeah, and I but I hear that now. Hmm. I, that's changed. That's yeah. changed. There's there's uh, this mass of mainstream blandness as there is in every other genre of music. Uh, you know, if you you could, I mean, you could say the same thing about rap. Uh, that that there's all this uh, all this stuff that doesn't rise above the the. The, the sort of mean level of it, and then and and occasionally something pops up that's really good, and and uh, the, it's true in any genre. It's true in in the area of worship music. Um, so you know, not all of it's great, and and some of the stuff that works really well live doesn't work so well on record uh, because it it's designed to be mantra-like and hypnotic, and it and that doesn't translate so well on a record as it does in in, in the actual experience of it. But, um, you know, I, I don't have any particular designs on doing that stuff myself. Okay. I, right. but, uh, but I wouldn't, again, rule anything out. I'm, I'm a brand-new <laughs> songwriter now. I've just only written two songs. <laughs> That's <fantastic>. Good, good. <laughs> well, a final question maybe from Glenn, if you don't mind, Bruce. Uh, I don't know where to go with this, but I, Pentecostals dance, you know, too, Bruce. So uh, Easy. dance has been a big theme in your, yeah. in your uh, writing. Uh, and one of my actually one of my favorite. As long as you don't dance like Dan Hill, <laughs> that is the most awkward white guy dance I've ever seen. I, I just thought I'd bring us back to the book, Drew. Oh, sorry, so sorry, anyway, uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I can't comment on dance dancing. I've never seen that. But uh, <laughs> but, but um, where, where I draw the line is a, is a, a waving rattlesnakes around. Yes, and, and well said. Church doesn't it doesn't bother me, but the snake thing kind of. Uh, <laughs> uh, before I let Glenn talk, I just got a text from Paul Young, who of course wrote the Shack, and you know you know Paul as well, Bruce. Obviously, and, mm-hmm. uh, he just said every time I have heard Bruce, he has led worship. Just saying. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for that, Paul. 
Um, yeah, where was I? Oh, just the, the dance thing. And, and, and in your book, you talk a bit about in your childhood, I mean, this whole business of having one leg a couple inches shorter than the other. And, and, uh, uh, and there's those great lines from, um, uh, I learned as a child not to trust in my body. I've carried that burden through my life. But there's a day when we all have to be pried loose. I, I just, I was sort of trying to make that connection between some of those childhood physical awkwardness and this dance, all these dance themes in your music. Is there some connection there? Yeah, there probably is. I hadn't really thought about it too much in, in exactly those terms. But yeah, sure, there is. I, I, I guess. I mean, the idea of dance uh, is. It's a multi-level idea. Um, C.S. Lewis talks about, and I, I kind of I use this in a song in Creation Dream. I had Jesus dancing the cosmos into yeah. being, which is something I got a concept I got from C.S. Lewis. And uh, so this goes back, and there's the, the old song Lord of the Dance that um, an English clergyman wrote. I forget his name, but it's Sidney Carter, I think. But uh, that. Uh, uh, um, the, the the idea of the, of the relationship with God being a kind of dance, and not in mm-hmm. the sense of club dancing, but in the sense mm-hmm. of uh, an exchange of energies and and of of um, synchronistic movements that relate to each other. Uh, that um, that to me is a, is a, a very good metaphor for for our relationship with God, and uh, and it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, I always think of dance as is when you're most unself-conscious, right? Where you're free to actually move your body. That feels if, like something connected you to are. God too. Yeah. If uh, you. I don't. I, I don't know that we always are. I, I, yeah. I think it might depend on on whether or not you're drinking or taking ayahuasca. <laughs> yeah. I, I, nice. I certainly dance better when I've been drinking than when I don't. <laughs> when I haven't been. I think that's true of uh, of all white people. So, wh- who's your favorite serial killer? That's an interesting question. I mean, favorite. I don't know. I, 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 it's such a hideous concept, that, and I've spent a lot of time watching serial killers fi- uh, in fictional TV shows. Uh, more than is good for me, probably. But um, <laughs> like the uh, the following with Kevin Bacon. Uh, no, I haven't seen that one. I actually no, I've read about that, but no, I uh, a lesser sort of uh, show, Criminal Minds. Yep. Whenever I'm stuck in a hotel, I, you know, I. I watch endless reruns of Criminal Minds instead of sleeping half the time. So um, it's uh, thinking about serial killers. I mean, if I think about the reality of it, of course, it's so hideous that it's it, it's uh, something that actually scares me. And I I I don't suppose I have a favorite one. I think the favorite one would be the one, if there were such a thing, would be the one who was. The least sadistic and the most efficient. <laughs> I've always wanted to have uh, Charles Manson on the show, and he's past being a good guest now, not the most lucid cat in the world. Uh, but I had Vincent Bugliosi on, and wow, that was fantastic. For me to interview Vincent Bugliosi about Charles Manson was, was pretty darn close. It was cool. Emmy Lou Harris's former tour manager. Uh, Phil Kaufman was actually in the same jail cell as Charles Manson at one point Whoa. in his life. Whoa, wonder how he slept. Yeah, I wonder. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, he's got an autobiography that came out a few years ago that uh, that, that refers to that. It's quite funny, actually. Those guys are uh, I, I, uh, favorites. The favorite one would be the one with the big crosshairs on its face. <laughs> 
<laughs> Some uh, have said to me recently that Gordon Lightfoot should stop performing. He's passed it. He's doing damage to what was. Uh, whether you agree with that or not is not the point. My, my question is, how will you know when it's time? I hope to know if there is such a time that 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 I see it coming and a time to kind of gracefully get out. I don't. I I've, I haven't heard Gordon perform live for a long, long time. But mm. and the last time I did, it actually it wasn't that long ago, maybe ten years ago. That was that uh, that anti-poverty benefit to Live Eight thing that we did uh, some years back, and he was he sang it that, and he was fine. But uh, um, but that's the last time I heard him. But but as far as myself goes, I, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, when I feel for myself, my own definition of that point would be when I feel like I can't uh, perform any given song or, or let's say any of the songs uh, to the standards that I've, that I'm used to. Uh, there's, you know, I mean, my hands are getting arthritic. So, so far that hasn't been much of an impediment, but there's certain songs I can't play anymore, and I don't try to play because they're not going to come out well. Uh, not too many, fortunately, so far. But uh, you know, if that number it becomes, you know, reaches some sort of tipping point, then of course I'd have to stop. And uh, I suppose you know the challenge is, of course, to to have that happen when you're still lucid enough to to make the call. <laughs> I guess you know, and we've or or. Yeah, in the end, I don't think there's a rule about it. No. If 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 you if you love to perform and people are willing to pay you to do it and put up with it, then why not keep yeah. doing it? Who cares? Yeah. It's, it's it's your your legacy is is up to you. I mean, I, I don't. Other people are going to make whatever legend they want out of you, if they choose to at all, and that has nothing to do with me. Well, I um, I've read a lot of memoirs. Uh, at the top of my list. Uh, was Sting's, and I think pretty much because he right-clicked on words and tried to find the more complicated word to use, I had to read the thing with a concordance just to understand and, and, and dictionary. But I, uh, I'm i not a good finisher of books. I'm not a good finisher of many things, but I'm not a good finisher of books. Dude, I will so finish your book. I mean, it's a honking book. It's like roots, but it is so worth it. Hey, so I did finish it. it, Drew. Right, I did. See, that's why we got him Thank in. You. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, thanks. Thanks to you both for your for your your done your fait accompli and your good intentions. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long book. It's five hundred pages of stuff, and and it could have been a lot longer uh, easily. So uh, you know, if there'd been more time and more energy to put into it, I was getting pretty frustrated with it by the end, but. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean it's it's a life, and there's a, because there's so much emphasis on the songs uh, as a kind of framework for for the story of me. Then there's a lot of background for those songs too. So it's not just the whole book isn't just about my life. It's also about all the stuff that's been going on while I've been around uh, that that's a, that's produced these songs. So you know there, there's. Um, I hope that makes it a more interesting book than it would otherwise be. And, and um, yeah, I, I think it was important to kind of put that stuff in. If we're going to talk about it, this stuff at all, the songs were meant to stand on their own without explanation, but the, given the opportunity to show where they came from, it was kind of fun to take that ball and run with it. 
Well, co-hosting this Facebook.ca interview has been Glenn Soderholm. GlennSoderholm.com is his website. And, uh, Glenn, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Your, your final words to the big man? No, thank you uh, for your music, Bruce. I saw you at the Outremont Theater in Montreal for the first time. I think it was in 76, the first time I ever saw you. And uh, I just uh, have been listening ever since. So thank you so much for the pleasure you brought me. Well, thanks for paying attention. Appreciate it. And, Bruce, as, as always, I think this might be your third time on the show i apologize for me <laughs> <laughs> oh that's so false <laughs> yes it is it so is <laughs> oh man so good to have you so good to chat always is bruce thank you appreciate your guts nice to talk to you both all right Thanks take care lot. bye-bye bruce coburn on the drew marshall show you got to get this book rumors of glory what a memoir to find quality guest speakers these days. If they're interesting, they're usually expensive. And if they're cheap, they're usually boring. Well, here's someone who's both expensive and boring. Drew Marshall is a high school dropout who tried to become a pro football player but didn't make it. He then tried to become a firefighter and didn't make it. Now he's trying to become a stand-up comic. (laughs) Good luck with that, Mr. Marshall. But... If you're looking for someone who's unpredictable, incredibly honest, provocative, genuine, then we've got the right guy. Everyone seems to be an expert on something these days. Why not book someone who's an expert on nothing, except how to be brutally honest about yourself and your faith? To book Drew Marshall as your guest speaker, go to drewmarshall.ca. Drew Marshall.